0: Some of you have come this week, you were hoping I'd have another 70s disco song, that's not happening. But what I am going to do today is share a little bit about my journey and how I hope it'll help you with your journey. Sometimes we have to go back and remember. Scripture is very clear about that, going back and remembering. So today I want you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. It's six books over from Proverbs, right after Lamentations, before Daniel. If you've got the same Bible I've got, it's page 807. If you use that. The difficulty of reading Ezekiel is he uses all kinds of these visions and messages and dramas and poems and all kinds of different things that you, if you're not careful, you'll kind of get lost in it and kind of, if you're not careful, stumble around in it, trying to make sense of it. And I understand that. And Ezekiel acted out God's messages in some pretty bizarre behavior that we won't get into right now, but he does. But what if you saw somebody barreling towards a bridge that had been washed out and they're going 70 miles an hour you'd probably throw off all your clothes and jump in the middle of the road and start waving your arms just to get their attention what I don't you have to throw off your clothes you just got to read Ezekiel But uh, you would probably do whatever it takes To warn them Ezekiel lived in probably The most tragic Period of his people's existence They'd been tempting fate for generations Ignoring God's messengers And there were many Who were warning them If you don't listen to God You're going to be destroyed (laughs) It wasn't a complicated message. And Ezekiel and, and, and Jeremiah were predicting this, and, and, and ultimately they go into uh, exile, and the oppression would grow heavier and heavier and heavier, and Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. so I want to read to you Ezekiel 33 is all we're going to read, verses 1 through 11. Ezekiel 33: 1 through 11 word of the Lord came to me son of man speak to your people and say to them when I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and, and, and make it, and the people of the land choose chose one of their men and make them their, their watchman. I'm reading that wrong, but anyway. And he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning, the sword comes and takes their life. Their blood will be upon their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be upon their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life. The person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you're saying our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You need to underline that. I don't know where your theology is and how you ended up here today, but I'll tell you right now. I don't believe the God that we serve takes pleasure. But rather they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die people of Israel. And another interpretation I think is, why do you choose death? You don't have to have death. Why do you choose death? Where I want to camp today a little more, and we'll see what happens next week, but is on the watchman. And a person is a watchman. You know, we look in our Culture, and it may be someone who stays up at night and walks around the building and they're the security, but they're the watchman at night. I mean, we could probably even see a lot of our first responders as watchmen because they're out on uh, our military as watchmen. They're up all hours. They're watching for us while we can sleep in peace, if you will. I know for me, I worked night shift a long time, working at Texas Instruments and working for Alumax. I do not like working night shift. <laughs> Some people do. They get in the rhythm of it. It is something that works for them. It works for their family. But me personally, I never really liked what they call the graveyard shift. And I think, it's because, I think there's a reason why they call it the graveyard shift. You get there quicker, I think, in my, my opinion. I don't know. But in ancient Israel, watchmen were placed on the highest parts of the wall, the city walls, and they would look out, and when danger comes, they would be looking way into the distance, up close to, obviously, but way into the distance. The watchman was supposed to sound the alarm. Of course, the prophets that they ignored all this time were doing that for them. But I love this and I just wrote it down I mean, I'm and read it. Ezekiel's function as a watchman was not as much to warn the exiles of their impending doom of Israel as to teach that God holds each one of us responsible for his own behavior and God warns us. It's sad when someone dies because of their own sin but it's really sad when we all know people don't live in a vacuum, right? Because of their sin, they're affecting so many other people. You may see it in your family. You may see it, obviously, in our culture. But fortunately, chapter 33, if you read it's kind of a turning point in the book. But I also want to read another passage of Scripture. And it's Isaiah 56, 10 through 12. Isaiah 56, for the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds are blind and ignorant. They are like silent watchdogs. They give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Like greedy dogs, they are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds, all following their own path and intent on personal gain. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow, we'll do it again and have an even bigger party. And some of you go, I don't really see what's wrong with that. (laughs) And maybe that's okay if you've not been assigned to be the watchman. Maybe that's okay if you don't have that responsibility. Blind. My watchmen are blind. Blind. Obviously, you can't make someone pay attention to something they don't want to pay attention to. (laughs) You can't make them focus on it. But the guy sitting in the city tower, sitting in the city wall, cannot be blind. And when we're talking about it in Scripture as a watchman, we're not talking about it, I want to make clear, we're not talking about it as a watchman in the natural We're talking about a spiritual ability to see what you couldn't see before. I've told you this about when I gave my life to Christ, when I was born again. The reason why I love the term there, born again, is because I was rebirthed again. I had, before I was born again, I had eyes, spiritual eyes to see, but they couldn't see. I had a spiritual tongue to speak, but it couldn't speak. I had spiritual ears to hear, but they couldn't hear. I had spiritual hands that would do, but they couldn't do. I had spiritual feet that would go, they couldn't go until I was born again. Like a baby being birthed. And then as I get out and they start working, then I mature. I'm not like the one I hope that Paul talks about in in in, in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. I wish I could feed you meat, but I can't because you're still You're still like mere man. You're still like you were never saved. I can't feed you meat right now. You can't handle meat right now because you have not matured enough to be able to handle it. I can't give it to you. Jan and I have talked about it before. Would it be better if we'd have chosen early on 30 something years ago now, in our faith, if we'd have chose the no growth path of being a Christian, just make a decision early on that I'm going to harden myself at anything that comes to me. I'm going to harden my, I'm going to, I'm going to take every situation that God's trying to prune me. I may see it as suffering instead of pruning, and I'm going to put it in that category because I don't want to change. Would that have been easier? The spiritual watchman is called to see. And then once you see, you walk in spiritual authority in what you see. The reason I love that, Josiah just introduced me to that song, I Speak Jesus on Thursday, Thursday. You know, I I felt bad once I looked at it on YouTube, and it'd already been out for like a year. So, anyways, like you just late to the party, bud. And I know some people get moved, or, or or music doesn't always do it. But when I when I listen to that song, it began to remind me of the old Kurt. Oh, I'm not talking about before Christ. I'm talking about right after Christ. you didn't dare have a conversation with me because you're getting Jesus full tilt. Don't even walk up to me. I know how to get it in there. I'm just telling you. I don't care where I was or what I was doing because I was looking. If you're not looking, you won't see. And especially a day and age when we're looking down at our phone, most of the time we're sure not going to see it. What if the most significant things that will ever, what if I, had? I talked about it last week, what if I, on July 31st, 1985, had been sitting on my phone in that used car office and just not paying attention that Jan pulled up and I get a chance to see her and jump out there and meet her? What if I had been looking at my phone? I'd still be single and you wouldn't like me. I'm sure you like me now, but at least I'm not single. I got some people that like me. She chose the rest of you may or may not have. Then it's not just enough to see it. We have to take authority in it. You're ignorant. Ignorant here means lack of knowledge. Oblivious. You ever been around people, you go, they're just oblivious to what's going on around. The Hebrew word for knowledge here is yada, meaning to know, to see, perceive, discern, and distinguish. God was saying here, Israel's leaders are unable to perceive. Not they just don't see it, they don't perceive what's going on here. And discernment is such an unbelievable uh, uh, undergirding of being able to be an effective watchman. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. So discernment is not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between, between right and almost right. Most of us know what's right and wrong. It's very obvious. Well, I, yeah, I ain't doing that. It's when it's gray, and I get that. I mean, we all kind of sometimes live in a gray, and I don't mean that in a, in a judgment way. We, all, we don't really know, so we continue to move forward. But discernment. The other one is mute or silent. You're like silent watchdogs. Anybody have dogs like that? They'll bark at everything else, but unless it's something that you need them to bark at, and they don't. You ever had that? They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. We live in a culture today, we as Christians and leaders, I'll put me for sure in that, whether hopefully both of them, we don't want to offend anyone. afraid we'll get canceled. PC culture. We're just afraid. And I realize there are times we don't need to speak into a situation because it's none of our business. There are times we don't need, we, we need to see God's timing and when to speak and things of that nature. But to not speak at all? And the way it is today and If you're not careful, you begin to speak out in love. And I really mean in love. Folks will try to back you into the corner based on emotionalism and shout you down. And if you come out of the corner, they're going to shout you right back into the corner. Because the goal of many today is not tolerance. The goal is silence. I know it's easy to get mixed in with the politics and all the things that go with it, and we should be people who are aware of what's going on around us. No question about that. But over my life, and I even listened to our general superintendent on Friday talk about it. When the church and the government get too cozy, one, the church always loses. Always, in my opinion. And when we get too political, we almost lose Jesus in the middle of that. Because if you read Jesus... Sometimes he'll be to the far right. Sometimes he'll be to the far left. <laughs> In the sense of you read Jesus, that's all we need to do. Just preach Jesus. But be willing to speak truth with love. To be much reason why we love the holiness message, Reminded it again Friday, reason why we love the holiness message because often it's not our position, it's our posture, she said. It's something in us that needs to change. How I articulate that is different. I may not ever change my stance, but how I do it and how I go about it very well may need to change. Israel, the Israel Watchman saw saw what was happening. Watching is not like, you know. For instance, last night I, I turned the channel. I was watching a football game. And I turned the channel, watching the the Razorback game, and kind of going back and forth. You know what? There was not one thing on either one of those games. If I'd have been watching, or I'd have been out. I wouldn't have been mowing the yard at dark, but whatever else I was doing would have changed the difference of what happened in those ball games? Everybody agree with that? Because I was watching. All I do is watching. That's not what this is saying. You don't stand around and watch other people watch or other people play. That's not your watch. You're in it. I was reminded again as I was listening to this song this week, I, 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 just, I just remember, I was telling Josiah and Allie, I remember as a, 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 when I lived in uh, 400 Johnson uh, in Wake Village, Texas, and our, one of the bedrooms there I had a you know, swivel chair or office chair. I would get up every morning and I would face the east and I would pray to the east and I would go to the south and I'd pray to the south and I would go and I'd pray to the west. And I would, in Jesus' name, I would pray over the city. Then I got civilized. That's too radical, Kurt. One thing I never gave up until they got old enough where they were going to bed later than I was, was going in over my kids at night. I'd be usually the last one to go to sleep. I'm, I, I, back then, I was the last one to go to sleep and most often the first one to get up. For whatever reason, I thought sleeping was a waste of time, and I've learned that that's not true. But I used to think that. I would go here and over all four kids, kiss them on the forehead, lay my hand on and pray over them, speak words over them. Tori was the most vocal about making sure. Tori would come to me and go, "Dad, what time are you going to bed?" I said, what about, and she goes, she'd hurry and go get in bed. (laughs) Not because she thought I was going to pray over her. She just didn't want to be awake when nobody else was awake. Everybody else was asleep. And she would go as she yelled, going up the stairs, Dad, come and check on me. Tons and tons. Tons and tons. And I would. I can't imagine not praying over my family. But somewhere along the way, I've got a little more civilized. Maybe I don't do it as much as I used to. Why? Maybe it's I don't, I'm not around people that I hear and talk about that do the same thing. Maybe we talked about it last yeah, Who knows? Or just my own distractions in my life. One of the things I know is, is there's some things have to change. First Thessalonians 1, 1 through5 is a scripture that we use as our mission statement here, and I'm not going to camp on that part of it today, but I want to camp on verse five of this, and it's Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. We all thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Consciousness means you're aware of something. Conscience, we all have one. Romans 2, I think, says we all have one. We talked about it the other day. Our conscience is really good for us. A red light, but not always good for a green light. Anybody can say an amen to that? You can, you can manipulate your conscience. You can almost... You can force your way there and say, okay, I feel all right with this. But the reality is, it may not be anything close to God. When God gives you a conviction, conviction is knowledge that's settled. You have a way harder time going against conviction than you just your conscience. And I think one of the things that we're missing so much in our culture, we don't talk enough about what we're convicted of. What are our values? We're not wavering here. Over the last two years, here at renovation, through COVID and all that's going on, and we and we did do crisis response, if you will, and leadership, and did all we could. But there was a little bit of the last two years. We got a little bit of wa- a wavering. I believe. I don't know how to live without conviction. I feel very lost without. Without buoys and without markers, or without knowing my, those things that are drilled down, that I'm not moving on that. I remember when I got, gave my life to the Lord when I was working at Alumax, and all those guys used to see me walk in there. <laughs> I mean, I was foul mouthed as foul mouth can be. I was, I'd get angry. Uh, I, I was just, I'd be out of, I mean, was, At the time, I was working June, July, August, September in Texas, and it's, the humidity is 100% just about, and, and there's this coolant spraying everywhere. And uh, it was easy to get real angry, and I don't no tell how hot it was inside that meal when I was in there working on it. I'd get mad about something because I couldn't get it to work, so I'd just throw something, and my boss had to come down and go and calm me down. That was just me. That wasn't just an isolated event, that was just kind of who I was. But when I gave my life to Christ on December 14th, 1986, there was an immediate change. That there's something happened. And my convictions about not talking about other people's wives as they walked through the meal coming from the front office to go back to the snack bar no longer happened. The things that came out of my mouth no longer happened. As time went on, alcohol came out of that. It just, that no longer happened. As I found by way even to the Church of the Nazarene and, and understanding even about the alcohol, and I appreciate again what Dr. Sunberg uh, uh, said the other day, we don't stand with people who will not drink, we stand with people who cannot drink. That's who we stand with in the Church of the Nazarene. We don't stand with people who will not drink, we stand with people who cannot drink. That's mercy. That's not legalism, that's mercy. And that's why I changed all those years ago. But... They used to, before I left there, I was in there, I, I was at IMAX, six months. I gave my life to the Lord. Eight months later, our daughter Sydney, going through a very, very tough time with her left eye. It's still to this day she does. But it was paralyzed and her eyelid was shut down. And so we were at, the, at, at Little Rock uh, children's Hospital from Texarkana, about two hours and something. We would drive up. We were up there. They didn't know if it was an aneurysm. They didn't know what it was. But I remember being a Texarkana before we took her up there. And most of you know this story, but but I think you need context here a little bit about why I get a little fired up up here. I remember telling the Lord before I left Texarkana, our little apartment there on uh, 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 Turtle Creek Drive. Lord, if you'll heal Sydney, I'll do whatever you ask. If you will heal her, I will do whatever you ask. We were there about three days. I don't know. They did MRIs for a little kid. They really didn't have even the, I think I remember, they had to put her to sleep because they didn't even have the stuff to fit her right back in 1987. You know, it was just becoming a weird deal. But I remember sitting in that, that, that waiting room and walking down that hallway, and I said, Lord, I've changed my mind. I know I told you, I told you. If you'll heal Sydney, I'll do whatever you ask. But I've changed my mind. If you'll heal Sydney, if you don't, I'll do, whether you heal her or not, I'll do whatever you ask. I didn't know two weeks later we would be in a citywide crusade in the Hooks Hornets football stadium in the middle of August, which makes no sense to this day or whenever it was. (laughs) It makes no sense. But anyway, they did. Citywide crusade. All the churches uh, really came together and had this crusade. And this gentleman was preaching every night. We went every night. And 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 and, and, and in the middle of that, I, I was just started getting the sense that you know God's calling me to do that, which was craziness, off the chart craziness. And he just kept going every night, every night. Then the next Sunday, his brother, the evangelist brother, came to our Baptist church, and he stood up there that one Sunday morning. I mean, that, that Sunday morning, he says, I've never done this in Baptist churches, that Baptist church at least, they didn't ever do this. And he said, Some, There's a young man here today who's been called to preach. He says, I've never done this before. And I don't know, you know those pews, it's got the wood piece on top of them, you know, that kind of got, keeps the cloth on them. You know what I'm talking about, the wood pews. That's why, you know, why they're so loose? That's because people get under conviction. They're just hanging on to it, just like about to snap that thing in half, like you know, like baseball players that go. Psh! That's kind of what's happening there. <laughs> okay, that's kind of what that feel is. Didn't go. To this day, he says no. But that night, after the crusade, we helped put everything up, and uh, on the way home, went into our into our driveway. And I told Jan, I said, I got something to tell you. She goes, I know what it is. I said, no, you don't. She goes, yes, I do. She said, you've been called to preach. I said, yeah, I have. To her disappointment. She wanted me to get saved. She did not want me to become a preacher. That's for sure. That's a fact. Amen. Still still that. Two weeks go by. As many of you know, I didn't even know what the first book of the Bible was, and I gave my life to Christ. Just didn't know. Been now a Christian eight months, and two weeks go by, and I'd been going down. They didn't even have an altar at the Baptist church. They just went down, and, you know, on the platform and prayed. And it was kind of unusual because people didn't do that either. I just kept going down, going, Lord, if this is you, one Sunday night I said, if this is you, if this is you, I need to know because there ain't nobody ever going to listen to me. You know my 10 years away from me. You know what that looked look like, and I, and I hate public speaking, but if it's you, I'll do it. That night I went to sleep. And at that point, eight months in, I had not been reading the Old Testament at all. Because the book, I, the, the, the little Bible that I could stick in my pocket that they'd let me read at IMAX was a New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. That's all it was. A little book. I'd read it over and over and over. Probably read I don't know how many times. It's just hard to imagine how many times I'd read it on 12-hour shifts, 16-hour shifts. Just read it over and over. But not the Old Testament. That night I had a dream, and in that dream there was this lady, a lady, a pastor, that we knew, charismatic pastor, that Jan did her hair at the time, that we had known for years. She was teaching a class in this dream. Jan and I were sitting in just regular chairs like you would in an old school, high school. I don't know what they look like today, but back then. And she came down and handed me a piece of paper. She said, this is your assignment. And I opened it up, and it was Ezekiel 33. I had never heard of Ezekiel that I know of. I was going, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel. That sounds like a book in the Bible. (laughs) Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. You do not warn the wicked man of his wicked ways. His dies. his blood will be upon your hands. Do you see sometimes why I want to work the name of Jesus into almost everything? Somewhere along the way, I get civilized. I got civilized. I said on the plane, I don't think about it as much as I used to. I was telling them the other day, uh, I mean, I have led people to the Lord. When I was praying to the, to the north and the south and the east and the west, well, here it would be north and the east, and the south and the west, these unbelievable opportunities to lead people to Jesus. Walking down, walking through the mall in Dallas, Texas, I led someone to the Lord. At Albertson's parking lot in Texarkana off Richmond Road, you know where that is, led a man to the Lord. It was crazy. But somewhere I got civilized, got cleaned up. I don't want to be cleaned up. Yeah, before you say, well, Kurt, that's good. and found your ministry is full-time there. Jan and I both used to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week at times. Raised our kids. We would drive 25 minutes each way at least three to four times a week, right? <laughs> and volunteer. And I worked at Max. I get it. But there's some questions that I think Jan and I really hammered out. What's at stake here? What's at stake in our family? What's at stake with the young people that we're ministering to? What's at stake in our community? Probably didn't think about the nation as much then, but man, I sure think about that a lot now. What's going on in the world? We have 2.7 million Nazarenes around the world, most of them outside the U.S., 165 world areas. What's going on there? We've become so ingrown. And I'm confessing. That's not preaching. That's confession. And I just sometimes have this fear that I'm going to look back someday and go, why were you spending so much time on that? What was that little thing that kept me from living into my divine purpose fully? What was it? Was it the thing of not being able to tell right from wrong, but right from almost right? I've thought a lot over this last few months about death, and life, the brevity of life. But it's all brief whether you live to be 25 or you live to be 95. It's brief. But what you do in that brief, the mist, as James calls it, matters. And the Lord has really stirred in me again. I do not want to spend the rest of the years or whatever it is of my life trying to motivate merely interested people. where I am. I'm not going to do it. There's too much at stake. To come each week, try to relight the fire. What I'd hope is your fire is already lit and we just throw a little more fuel on it. You're already walking in it. You're already in the middle of it. You're already there. You're already, you already the, the, the fire is burning in you, and all we do to come together is just make the fire bigger. I, 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 but I also want to be a place where we introduce people to the fire. We need to be a place of hope. And this last two years, I'll be honest with you, I've kind of been in in, in 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 the wilderness, and what I've understood about the wilderness over time is the wilderness is this, I may not be able to shorten the wilderness, but I sure can lengthen it. I don't always pray, Lord, get me out of the wilderness. Lord, what can I get out of the wilderness? In my suffering also often, and I think for you, we sometimes think it's some kind of punishment and all God is doing is pruning. It looks the same as you look at your neighbor, but God is pruning you. Here's what I'm going to say, and, and some of you are not going to like this. Josiah, you guys come on up until i got somebody behind my back protecting me here. God, <laughs> trust Josiah. Sir, do not hand off, and not everybody's got this, but I'm just saying to sirs right now, do not hand off the position of watchman for your family to anyone else, and you can work in partnership for sure, and Jane and I have been doing this a long time together, But I'm not sure she's going to be held accountable the way I'm going to be held accountable. I know that's families and that's marriages, and I get that. We are all watchmen. As Matthew says, and Jesus says, and those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And you don't get off the hook, none of you. But, sir, you've been given the greatest privilege ever to lead your family. You will never have a greater responsibility or privilege in your life. And you're going to have to make some hard decisions because some of them are keeping you from living in your potential. And it's keeping your family from doing it. It's keeping them. You are keeping them. Not your spouse because she's not doing enough, or you get it through her, somehow or another. If God wants me to know something, He'll tell her, He'll tell me. That's enough of that. There's enough of that. It is time for you to lead your family. Whatever it takes. And you may not come back. I'm all right with that. I'll look you in the eye all the way around. I'm all right with that. And then some of you need to step into the space where some of these families don't have a male figure to do it. first place you go and watch is your own heart because scripture tells me that it is where, from there the wellspring of life comes guard your heart men guard it with everything you have because from that comes the wellspring of life this will be an unbelievable adventure I promise you that But quit looking for it with natural answers for supernatural solutions. You need to be praying over your family. I don't like pray you pray. Lead. That's all I got. I went through a time this last fall where I couldn't leave my family. And thank goodness I had somebody beside me that didn't give up on me. I had people around me, surrounded myself with people who didn't give up on me. You better look who your community is, who you're walking this out with. I don't need somebody to go, hey, let's just go get another beer. That'll take care of it. It won't. I'm arguing about beer, I'm just saying that's not the answer <laughs> you're looking for a natural answer to a supernatural question that's what I'm saying I know I'm going to regret preaching this long because I always listen to my sermons just, I hate it when I go this long because it takes so much more of my time to listen to it again it frustrates me Maybe I just won't even listen to it. How about that? Amen? Amen. I'm letting it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. Won't you stand with us? I'm going to pray over you. Some of you may need to come today as we sing. And we're going to sing, I Speak Jesus. And these altars... Thank goodness for the church of the Nazarene in so many ways, but one of they hadn't got rid of these, and we didn't either. Some of you may need to come today and lay on these altars your family. Finances, gifts, and graces. I mean, I thought about it the other day, and we were we were just talking as, on the way back, and just listening to Dr. Sunberg and of that laying of my kids and my family on the altar. And Lord, you do with it as you wish. It's different than laying Fido on the altar. It's different than laying. A car on the altar. It's different than laying a house on the altar. I laid my family on the altar. We will go wherever we believe you're telling us to go and do whatever we believe you're asking us to do. All in the name of Jesus. I love it, Acts 4. Sanhedrin told Peter and John you guys can go but don't speak about Jesus. And what did they say? We can't help it. We can't help it. We can't help it. To tell about what we've seen and heard. So as Josiah and them lead us let me pray for us Lord today across this room I know this may be the last Sunday I see some of these people it's okay it is really okay but we are going to be a place I hope and pray that preaches holiness that preaches there's always this radical optimism of what God can do with a sin stained life that has tons of regret and tons of everything else and you can turn it around and then you just keep building on that Lord, I pray specifically for the men in this room right now who are married and have kids specifically. I know that I've made them feel uncomfortable today. But Lord, I hope and pray that wasn't me. I hope and pray as your spirit penetrates their hearts and souls, that's the only thing that will change us. Not man's words or talk fast or get angry enough. It's you. Lord, we hand all this to you today in your honor and in your name. Amen. As we sing, if you feel led, please come.